talk. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of You Talk Too Much and I'm here with my guest Troy Baker at our local um, restaurant called Woodfire. I get it. Woodside. Yeah, I get it mixed up with Woodfire. If two words look alike to me, I get them mixed up. And and um, yeah, so I'll just get uh, Troy to introduce himself properly as usual. Yeah, kia ora koutou. my name's uh, Troy Baker, um, guest tonight, thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's been, it's been a, a ride for the last week, we just met up <laughs> randomly with each other. I was, I was at a cafe um, at some obscure place meeting with someone else and I just couldn't help but get engaged with, uh, we just met eyes, <laughs> person I was there went to the toilet, we started off with one word that turned into a thousand, so... I'm really excited about being here tonight. Thank you. Awesome. So, Troy, can you just um, explain a bit more about your background, where you were born, and how you grew up? Yeah, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit because um, I wrote a poem that's got a little bit about that in there, which will save a little bit of time. So, I never ever go around and say I'm a poet um, just because I just put words together that I'm feeling at the time. And I've had this. Um, uh, some say it's a talent, um, gift, but I, I've just been doing it since I've, I was young, and and it's a damn shame I don't know how to sing or rap or put it to music because I'd make some money out of it. But <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, so this one was called um, a modern day struggle that I wrote um, in my early twenties, and it was how I was feeling at the time. So the lead up to it was people um, in my community um, as being Maori up north were kind of envious about me succeeding in the Pākehā um, world, but I was never trying to throw it in people's face, but it still ended up looking at me going, I'm a plastic Māori and all those negative narratives that come from our own people. So um, I hope you enjoy it. It's called uh, A Modern Day Struggle. At times we sit here feeling sorry for ourselves. No money in our pockets, no food in our mouths. We continue blaming others for the shit life we live, thinking that money is all we can give. Our ancestors were forced to change how they lived every day, how to dress, how to speak, it's wrong doing it your way. They came in numbers, raped our women, infected our race, architects of our land, now features of my face. I've got to the point where I'm sick of the same story though, told by those who blame others for their problems, self-proclaimed hoary. Hang on, this music is kind of putting me off. <laughs> self-proclaimed hoary. <laughs> Now the music's putting me off. <laughs> the lyrics on the back. Actually, I've got it written down here because I love this song that if you can hear it in the background, it's King George. It came out last year and it's one of my favourite jams actually. So that's why it's kind of it's kind of messing my head because the lyrics of that song's actually popping in my mind. But hey, these are the good stuff, hey. <laughs> it's the it's the it's the mistakes that actually bring it bring it around here. But what I what I really like about this opportunity is um, it's where we can talk about our own experiences and whatever people take out of it is um, is completely up to you. So I'm not here to force a narrative or, or anything like that. I'm just here to share what my story is and 
and like we talked about earlier on uh, this evening, you know, like it's really important for us to take what we uh, the gems out of what we experience, and then come back and um, maybe apply it to our lives, and maybe change or miss or, or direct us in a different positive light. So let's start all over again. I'm sorry about this. So it's called a modern day struggle. Times we set feeling sorry for ourselves. No money in our pockets. No food in our mouths. We continue blaming others for the shit life we live, thinking that money is all we can give. Our ancestors forced to change how they lived every day, taught how to dress, how to speak. It's wrong doing it your way. They came in numbers, raped our women, infected our race, the architects of our land, even the features of our face. I've got to the point where I'm sick of the same story, told by those who blame others for their problems, self-proclaimed hoary. Addiction and repetition is the cause to your friction. Don't blame anyone else, you're killing yourself is my prediction. Take a step back, look at the life that you've built. In a mirror, do you recognize happiness, regret, or guilt? A modern day struggle is no new invention. Therein some truths is my only intention. See, my life started when my father parted. The man walked away from the family he started. I could have blamed him for failing at life. He left us vulnerable to deal with life's strife. Lucky for both my brothers and me, he left behind a strong, loving mother for we. She protected us even when she wasn't mentally strong. Mum dug deep within to show us right from wrong. There are many times where mum didn't eat for a week to make sure there was kai for her three boys to eat. Struggling to make ends meet is no joke. Take a look in the mirror, do you see broke? Look deep within yourself for the real reason to the live. Open your eyes to the love you can give. It's only up to you to unlock your mind. A decision is made to be mean or kind. The modern day struggles, no, nothing new. Your life is a story written by you. If you accept stereotypes of how your life should be, You've accepted others' ideas for your own destiny. So that's pretty much my mantra, making the most of um, my experiences and the opportunities that are presented in front of me. That's so beautiful. Um, So Troy and I, yeah, like I said, the random meeting in the cafe, um, we we spoke and and we realised that we're kind of very similar, like kind of opposite, like mirror images of each other because... Troy, even though he grew up in Bay of Plenty, um, his his work has involved him working closely with the Pacifica community here. And I shared with Troy, like, I am full Tongan, but I embrace and love Te Ao Māori. I, like, I just completed my postgraduate study and I just researched everything Māori because um, all my friends, a lot of my friends are Māori and I just had this love for Te Amori, so we we kind of and I wrote poetry too, so we kind of recognised like I don't know like um a uh, 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 kind of spiritual a spiritual connection. Um, so Joe, can you just like describe more, in more detail like how you grew up and how you found yourself in Auckland? Yeah, of course. So um, how I grew up I was there's a um, an adoption process in Te Amori, which is uh, Fangai. So I was fangied um, by my um, by my grandparents, and um, they raised me for five years of my of my life, and um, and I learned so much. So some some say that I've got a bit of an old soul, and in actual fact, that was actually um, that was actually tikanga um, in practice, where the eldest boy would or the eldest mukapuna or male would go and live with or be whangai by the grandparents to be close to the stories and knowledge and everything was passed down to them. So I was basically my grandfather's tono tono, which is 
uh, it's got a negative narrative right now where tunnel tunnel is when you're bossing people around. But in actual fact, I'd learn from all of that being around people um, of his age at the time. So there's a lot of modern uh, philosophy that was talked in front of me when I was young on marae and in hui and in Fano because he was um, a chief line um, up in up in the Bay of Islands um, and my tribes are Ngāti Hine, Ngāti Rangi, Te Raroa and uh, Ngāti Torehina. So that's where my life started. Um, I went in to move back in with my mother, um, experienced the whole shebang, the domestic violence. Um, there's three siblings, so my younger brother, uh, David, and my older brother is special needs. So he's on the um, non-verbal end of um, the autism spectrum. So it was, that was my lesson there, was to young and the taunting of my brother uh, being teased when we were young, we learned very young that you had to be the toughest. So we, my brother and I would then go around and become the alphas of the school, beat up the bullies, and um, so everyone would leave my brother alone. So that's where that lesson learnt. But seeing my mum working for us to bring kai and sacrificing, and at the time we didn't realise that mum wasn't eating, because mum never sat at the table for us to eat. So the whole time mum wasn't eating, uh, so she could have kai on the table for us to eat. So she, she protected us from, from those memories. Uh, but we figured it out as, as life got on. So we lived in Australia for a spell. Um, we spent most of the time in West Auckland. Um, and then we moved up to the Bay of Islands. Uh, we were really cool home, a place called Kawakawa. Um, it was riddled with gangs and drugs and all the life um, around us. Um, statistically, we were either going to end up in prison or, or, or end up joining a gang. But um, fortunately at the time I had some real good family support to prevent that from happening. So um, that was basically it. And I don't like being the old... Uh, sharing the the tough story and tough upbringing because the irony about it is that i believe that the trauma is is or the trauma is realized upon reflection because at the time i never realized i wasn't traumatized at the time because i was surrounded by love i had my family around me i had my brothers um that protected me as well as i protected them so yeah, it's amazing. Looking back, you go, oh, well, you had an amazing life and I could write a book and write a rap song maybe, but I'm not really interested in it because all I remember is love and um, and gathering. So without dragging this out too long, so I ended up um, going to a Māori boarding school to reconnect because uh, I had a strong Australian accent. <laughs> and they wanted me to, oh, he sounds too Australian for here. I got teased for having flash clothes when we first moved over from Australia, but reality is there were from the Salvation Army, and then I went into edu- uh, then I went to Bay of Islands College, and that's where I did my education. And I'm still involved with the college actually, because that was the first real place that I got to call home. So yeah, that's that's where it all started for me. Um, how I ended up at uh, at a organisation or leading, I'm a uh, service delivery manager leading one of the biggest COVID vaccine centres in South Auckland. Um, growing it all from community within community for Pacifica, which seems ironic when the Maori is at the head of it. The, lo- the looks that I get, <laughs> the looks that I get when they find me at the top of these initiatives, is is quite uh, is quite funny because um, they're very surprised that I'm not a Pacifica. But when we sit down and talk, that just melts away. I think it's just the initial shock. Beyond that, um, I've learned so much. Um, I've learned to serve. 
uh, without until Māori was um, I felt so angry and um, but with me angry frustration and everything I learned at a young age to turn that into energy to turn that into motivation so um, both Nair and I spoke earlier about the word um, the passionate um, a Pākehā calling me passionate that's one of my triggers I don't like the word when it's because uh, it's presented as a condescending um, term for me without taking all the other attributes that I'm offering at the time um, for real but that's my own personal take on it but the um, leading into corporations and other sorts of things uh, we talked about it earlier and it was just and, and you were as well curious we were curious and we accepted any consequences whether we failed or succeeded in it and I think that's where I got most of my life lessons and learnings and elements um, to help me get to Rome today. How I ended up in the Pacifica space was, um, if I'm being honest, I've done a lot of mahi around Māori and Tao for the last 15 years. I needed a bit of a break because it started getting a little bit ugly for me, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm seeing tokenism at its highest peak at the moment, gatekeeping for our, for our Māori um, and Pacifica uh, inroads of succeeding for futures so um, it's really it's really a shame but at the same token I think it's part of their ver part of their journey and hopefully they they come to the realization that um, they're not succeeding by themselves um, we need to succeed together I think moving away from I always go back to going from a a me a me community now like we were brought up in a we community weren't we so it was always I wouldn't dare smoke out on the street when I was a young inquisitive tutu fella smoke out on the street or anywhere in public that I can see because I was scared of aunties uncles neighbours but no one cares now they, they, they're quite because no one cares about their own uh, about anyone else's children and just their own so um, it's certainly changed so I may have gone off topic just a little bit so you might want to ring me back in there uh, ring me back in there Neo <laughs> no, I, yeah. Dave, um, thanks for that Troy so yeah I think if we can just elaborate on the curiosity part because I think you and I as we spoke about before like that's something that I feel like we have in common is um, I believe that we both you know doing things out of the box and 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 people may look at us and be like oh my gosh like how are you able to do that aren't you shamed aren't you scared and and you spoke about curiosity and i was like oh my gosh that's me too can you just elaborate on that please so the curiosity part was mostly um two parts i wonder if i could do that <laughs> i was always curious i wonder if i could do that so the um, milestones for me, of, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can be a leader. I wonder if I can um, succeed in martial arts. I wonder if I can challenge, challenge um, managers or teachers or educators from, from a good place. That's what, that's, these are the things that I was curious about. Why aren't we doing it our way is another thing that I was curious about. Why... Why are we trying to uh, trying to succeed in a in a Pakia world um, when we are Maori, we are Indigenous, and we've got so many um, strengths? Like we talked about, uh, also at the same time as curious is when someone talks about privilege, 
you know, we, our view is moved by, I was brought up in privilege, even though we can, uh, we can talk about the Salvation Armies and all the sob story stuff, but like I said, it never hurt me at the time, and it hasn't hurt me now, it's shaped me and who I am, but when you say it out loud, it kind of thinks, well, how did, how did I do that, and curiosity was certainly, was certainly the way. I can speak different languages because I'm curious of engaging with them, curious to understand what they're saying. So I learned Hindi, Chinese, um, mainly um, just to break the ice, I'm Filipino, because I was curious to see how they would react just by knowing it. Um, also Sri Lankan, um, Tamil, Kucharati, uh, uh, which is uh, Indian dialect. So I learned all these sort of just to get a reaction, so that's what I was curious about. And I was also curious to see if I could succeed it um, my way. So teaching things my way uh, that worked worked for me. So sharing stories that um, would help people create that curiosity of wonder if I could do that too. So how have you like dealt with um, being like the only type of? the only person like you in in spaces of power and spaces of so-called privilege that you found yourself in. Yeah, but like one of the things I can't swear on here, eh? So one of the one of the one of the things that I love messing with is uh, stereotypes. So um, I'm sitting here right now, a big tattooed Māori man um, with a uh, lava lava and a Pacifica shirt. Not because I, I had to wear it, it's because I'm proud to wear it. And um, if I had known how comfortable these lava lavas are <laughs> in summer and stuff, at an earlier age than 43, man, I would have worn this shit. I mean, this, this <laughs> I would have rocked this easily, eh? Like, so I'm sharing this with my Māori whanau, and they're like buzzing out seeing me in this attire. And I've bought them shirts, they love it now, they're embracing it. And I'm just saying, why... Why were, we so, why were we so ignorant not to have that insight and saying, you know what, that's not just yours, it's ours. Like if we look at the involvement and stuff, so um, that's, that's stereotypes, breaking stereotypes. Being in those sorts of environments, so I was actually after reactions, turning up to the Ponce restaurants in my baseball cap and shoes and shorts and people looking at me going, oh, who's this guy, what are you doing here, you don't deserve to be here. Um, another thing I used to do was I used was, was, was to walk around of I went to a boarding school called Hato Petra and our uniforms were black and red so I love red I love wearing red for no real we- reason I, I think it's toto as in, as in our blood nothing to do with gang affiliations so my brother and I were both the same so the looks that we get when we walk into wine tastings when we're wearing a red cap red shirt red shorts red shoes with Tamuku all over us, they normally assume that we're, we're with the headhunters or the mongrel mob. And um, we loved it, you know, we loved it, we loved the reactions, and we thought it was absolutely hilarious, especially when I was a bank manager at the time. And um, so we didn't really acknowledge that. We just, a couple of curious guys tutuing and not really and not really caring about how they were acting because it was their problem, not ours. And if they wanted to set the standard low for us, and we're and we're at higher, you know, that that messed with them more than it messed with us, and it got them second doubting themselves. Like we we're like, 
bro, how do we end up in a room like this? Yeah, this is buzzy. <laughs> and they're in there going, Oh my god, I'm not I'm not I'm not succeeding enough to keep away. I'm not far ahead yeah. of them as I thought they were. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Hey, the other um, insight the in corporation and in corporate life, the the senior CEO management and and uh, founders of companies and everything, they are so they're amazing people, and they were a lot of their success like these companies that have been around for eighty, ninety, a hundred years. And I met a lot of the some of the founding members or inherent uh, or the descendants of them, and they were true blue um, Kiwi, like they had relationship with Maori, you know. There was no separatism; they were all there. And um, so when you speak to them, and there was a realization, they go and they come up and rub my arms. Oh, and they want to talk about the tamoko, and they say, Troy, I've never had an opportunity to have a conversation like this. I've always been curious. But I'm scared that they'd react to me and not accept me and think that I'm trying to tuck a heel on them or be condescending. So you've got both sides of that. Of that. So we are our worst enemy in terms of putting restrictions up above us and what we're able to because we don't feel that, oh, we're not worthy of being in some, such circles. But they want us there. It's the tokens and the middle management that are stopping us from getting into the front of these people that will truly inspire us. And I was lucky enough to be in front of a lot of amazing leaders that I could rattle off the top of my head. So that's that's how I dealt with it. Yeah, I just um, I just want to like go off the, the that point that you said, like. Um, you know, when you're a marginalised ethnic minority, often people do meet you and they think they're better than you. And and the way that I read this is because when they ask me what tertiary institute I went to, they just go, "Oh, you went AUT," and I'd be like, "No, I went to Auckland University." And then their face just falls, and I'm like, "Why does it matter? Like AUT is just as good as Auckland University." But and or when they find out that I'm a teacher, they're like, "Oh, you're a primary school teacher," and I'm like, "No, I'm high school." And then their face just falls, and then they're like. English and I'm like maths and then their face just nearly contorts into like they're gonna have a, um, a seizure and I'm just like who cares like every subject's the same you know like it, primary is still hard but it's just that whole thing that they have they have allocated me to us in a way that elevates them and I can tell by the assumptions that they make and the way they react to the truth so, um, like, even, like, and you find brown people trying to lower themselves to make other people feel comfortable. So one of the ways I'm involved is, like, I don't, I don't center my existence around white comfort. Because when you're brought up as a marginalized minority, ethnic minority in Western society, you center, and your elders teach you because they're colonized, to center how you act, how you think around whether white people find it acceptable or not. And I'm at a I'm in an evolved state where I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you're human, I'm human, I don't care. Like and so when I find and and and, and, and everyone internalizes that too, because you have like other brown people like angry at you that you are confident and proud and you know, elevate trying to get into their spaces of power. You have other brown people kind of being like who do you think you are, like trying to rein you in? And I'm like, sad that our own people are our own worst enemies sometimes. But just going off on that, I was like, that's something. Yeah, sorry. But like, you know, we see that, like that tall poppy syndrome they talk about the Kiwis have, right? So you talked about that. So uh, 
when that happens sometimes they freak out because that's all they knew and they want to protect you as well they don't want you out there to be hurt or exposed so there's that sense of protecting you because that's what I experienced with some people that had been hurt and burnt and think you're going to go through the same experiences and think it's their story so that's one part to that but the, the, the other point I want to add on to um, what you mentioned before was when we talk about oh how successful you've been and oh, you and I have done and, and the achievements that we have and they're sitting there in terms of acceptance looking at you going wow I didn't know they could do that but then they validate us ah oh, you're an educated Māori you're an educated Tongan and, that, and that's where the validation is um, I've heard that so many times wow you're very well spoken from Māori and I said well I said, I, I don't know how to respond to that. Because, like, if we look at well-spoken Māori, and you look at the footage and the orators, but also the the footage of, um, there was Goldsmith when he was doing all of the um, all the portraits, but there was also um, documentaries that were, that were made uh, back in the 60s, and our English was perfect. We were selling, we were saying white better in the outskirts because we were colonised by missionaries. So how it's evolved into this other language is, um, is, is, be, is beyond me. There's a New Zealand Screen On Air uh, documentary of life in 1960 um, for Māori. And we were thriving more then than we are now. And I think the reason why we were thriving more then than we are now, we were quite content of what we were. You know, we were quite content like whānau came first community came first above everything else and that was our, our foundation and I think in today's modern times yes there's a sense there's less of a sense of community as a whole and I just don't think that was done on purpose like you've got more multicultural um, influences since immigration have come in there so it could have diluted that in part but I think what I what I do cherish is authenticity substance all those sorts of things. So learning our words and kupu, uh, learning our kupu and our narratives isn't enough. You need to live it. You need to smell it. You need to breathe it. And you can only do that within our communities. I think that's the thing that we've talked about, eh, Troy? I mean, me as an educator and the fact that there's a big move within um, the Ministry of Education to push for Mataranga Māori to be... Um, you know, given its rightful place in the education system um, to honour the Treaty of Waitangi, but for me, I just feel like it's going to be tokenistic. Um, just seeing how the government is not putting the resources, not um, understanding that it takes time, and and that it's just going to be a tick box, another tick box. And for me, it just hurts me because I have a heart for Te Ao Māori, for Tikanga, for all that stuff, and and just to see it, that it, that they're going to pat themselves on the back after, you know, like totally trashing it. Because that's all they know. It's not really their fault. It's out of innocence or naivety. Um, yeah, what do you have to say about that? Well, I could say the same about us um, as, as Pacifica and, and uh, Polynesians. But like, if we look at our, um, our life cycles on both, both spectrums, the Pākehā have, have got like thousands and thousands of years of managing wealth money, um, having that sense of um, combining wealth for future generations and preparations for that as a tikanga, we never had that 
when we were growing up, we didn't have wealth, we didn't have money, because we saw value in, in, in traditions and stories and natural sorts of stuff. So we are in the infancy of that knowledge around financial, being in positions where we are governance over money and other sorts of things. You go back 20 or 30 years of initiatives, you'd see in the newspapers in there, Māori um, um, organisation or group or marae, misappropriation of funds, fraud, and all those sorts of things, right? Even in Pacifica, they're going audits, oh, we found that they misappropriated X, Y, Z dollars. We didn't have that financial sensibility and financial um, capabilities at the time. So we're only doing what we knew best, and it was to help and, and deal with what was in front of us. I believe that Pākehā are at their infancy, at the stage we are around financial, in some cases education, around our cultural capabilities. We've lived our cultural capabilities, and cultural capabilities need to be at the forefront of everything that we do now to have a real sense of uh, what we do. Like, you've got so many sayings in, in our languages that have been passed on for generations, like even songs that we sing every day, where we're missing the messaging. Like, e toru na mea, na mea nunui. Like, you're sitting there, and we're in singing it, e toru na mea, part of the forfeiti. And no one's not really embracing saying that these three gifts that we got, you know, there's aroha, manaki, to look after each other, all these, all these sorts of mes- key messages that are out there. And that was always part of our survival. So once we start re-looking and reviewing and re-engaging with our tupuna's messages, in- including messages of faith, and modernizing it in today's faith, and using that as a tool to get us through these next sorts of things, I think we're going to be okay, eh? So if we truly want to work together, if they truly want to utilize and bring us together, because we are mis- we are grossly misrepresented on the west end of the spectrums across education, crime, um, edu- yeah, especially education and crime um, in this country. Now they're saying, oh, you know, we're not going to succeed. They reviewed the NCEA uh, framework um, three years ago as part of a roadshow. Nothing really happened with that uh, right now. Everyone's trying to find answers to to, to exist, to co- coexist together. I think we're in the right place. We just need to do it the right way with the right people. Yeah. I think, like, for me, um, in terms of when you said about education, you know, um, I believe that it's Indigenous ed- educators that have the greatest power. And it's tough because you still have to operate within a Eurocentric education system like there like it's I can't I can't see us taking it apart and rebuilding it um, but for me I think one of the greatest answers and I just think about every school that I've, that I've been at I have yet to meet a Maori math teacher um, you know so it's just like for me that's my passion in life is to empower indigenous ed- educators because um uh, and we talked about this before, like every ethnic group is tribal, whether you admit it or not. Like white people are tribal, they're there for their own. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just human. You can't judge that. Um, you know, Indians are for their own, Chinese are for their own. And that's just humanity. So we, I think when you're colonized, when you're a marginalized ethnic minority, you lose that sense of you're for your people. Like you lose that fight. And I see that, and maybe they had that back in the times when you know Maori were thriving but I feel like they've lost it now it's just like the blame game or 
um, you know, you, you're you on your own, you know. So, I mean, do you have anything to say about that, Troy? Yeah, absolutely. I just think um, it's, a, it's basically a disconnect. Um, a disconnect. And, you know, there's two or three generations that have been disconnected. Like, there's a there's a Māori word, whakamā, um, ashamed. So there's a lot of uh, whānau that don't have that connection with, with um, our language, our tikanga. Some don't know their whakapapa with regards to where, where they actually come from, where their lands are. And I truly believe that um, our whenua is the essence of us that will bring us together at the times that's required. Like even if it's a, a place to rest or if you go back to your papakainga eventually. But um, I think at the moment, right now, there's a lot of um, focus on, you know, what's your pepeha, um, get up and doing, getting up, standing up and doing your pepeha and all these courses that are making you feel fantastic to be a Māori. They're doing it in prisons, they're doing it for tamariki that left school early and, and I absolutely love it. But where the breakdown is at the moment, you know, is that there's no pathway into jobs, there's no pathway into there um, that's going to use your our culture as the, um, as the um, foundation of succeeding off in that regard. So it's really changing environments um, and, and understanding that. Um, an example I'll give you is trades training. So trades training had a millions and millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars invested in it because they felt that trades training was the solution to a societal, societal problem. To fix our problems, you know, all we have to do is get a job without financial literacy, without the capability of managing, managing that, not having the um, soft skills of actually turning up on time and having that pride. We've got people at the end of the um, of their retirement, they're, they're leaving off all this whakaro and all this knowledge. But in the old days, you had young, bright-eyed uh, rangatahi turning up to work. You could, they could take a mockery up, but they respected the elder. They there learnt, they knew what a hard day's worth of work looked like. And they had pride in what they did. That's completely changed now. I'm scared about the talent, um, the talent stresses with the um, re- reduction of immigration, and bringing this um, the the um, deficit over from overseas. But it just became that became tikanga, not looking at results and 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 um, and resolving it in house as a country, and dealing with it and going through all the trouble and tribulations. They were after quick fixes. Let's go and look for the talents elsewhere. Let's increase housing and all those sorts of things. We need to be at the forefront. Our tikanga needs to be at the forefront of everything we do. And um, and I think that's hugely, hugely important. But you and I can le- learn the Pākehā framework, right? But we can do it our way. We are the differentiators. We are the differentiators. We are the ones that can personalise it so it engages the farangatahi to get the key messages that changes the tikanga of how they've been educated. I would have loved to be one of your students. <laughs> ah, it's true. Seeing a brown face with that same, you know, the aunties that were educators, you know. Oh boy, you're so full of shit. I know. <laughs> I've heard that one before. Just tell me the truth. Tell me what really happened. But I know that you would give it gusto to say, hey, you know, I can see it in them. Yeah. And, and I'm like that too. I can see a natural natural talent in someone. 
and it takes a little bit more effort to get them to realize it themselves but once they get it you've changed their lives and their genealogy i truly believe if you change this one person today you're you're setting the new whakapapa of the future no, that's true. I mean, we are every brown teacher I've ever met has, is an auntie or an uncle. You know, we we um, we we just see the potential in the kids. Like they're not a statistic, they're not um, a grade. They're our kids. So yeah, that's why I believe in indigenous educators. And it, I think the hard thing is that we are judged harshly. Like I've been judged for coming down hard on my kids by people outside our community and I'm just like because I know they're talking bullshit yeah. sorry I shouldn't share it's rare. Um, yeah like I know my the kids like they come from a good family they're just playing you yeah. like to the people who aren't from my community that's a, that's a real good point because um, when I went to boarding school it was the rich kids that were stealing the rich kids were stealing and bought it big not only wanted to be one of the crowd, they wanted the um, attention from their parents. Their parents were working so hard, working 60, 70 hours a week. These rich kids weren't going home for the for our um, break weekends because their parents were away overseas. They were so lonely. They had everything. They had the flashiest shoes, they had the flashiest kakahu, they had the flashiest everything. They had money to boot, but they were so depressed. I don't like using that word depressed because it's got a huge spectrum now, but it really was. So they wanted attention. They wanted their parents to be phoned up to say, come in, we need to have a talk to you, your son's stealing. And then they're sitting there smiling when they see them walk in. Then it quickly turns and they'll go, you know, I'll make a donation to your school to make this go away. How do I make this go away? So it's um, it, it's really uh, it's really important that we are um, not losing sight of the implications that we have for our children in the, in the future. You know, that that shadow of doubt is is like a cancer and, and a point where if they if you don't believe in them, they're not going to believe in themselves. And um, it's quite funny, like they said, oh, what would you do if you were the Prime Minister of New Zealand and all that sort of jazz? I said, I, I couldn't answer it until I'm there, you know. I haven't got the full side. We've, we've, we only can see what what they allow us to see we don't know the entire sort of thing here but if we could convince everyone that brings a child into this world to love them to care for them to protect them and do everything they can uh, that's going on in your household we will fix everything because if everyone's taking responsibility for their own and knowing that they're one part of a big community that'll make a world of difference I believe yeah, I totally believe in that. I've worked in a program with foster kids, and the kids, like the government is the worst parent. What the government does is just throw money at things, and, and, and kids are human beings. Like, they need, and that's the thing, like, nothing makes me, so I have no kids, you know, and people are like, just go and have a kid, and I'm like, no, I want to give my kid the best possible start. So for me, my how I decide that is, that's a two-parent home. Um, you know, that's what I've decided with my life. And people think I'm crazy because it goes against the cultural norm now. Yeah. Like independent woman, you can have it all. You can have the baby, like just, you know, um, be a single mom. And I'm just like, no. Like, I feel a real, I want to give the, my child the best start in life. And that's how I determine, I've determined that as an important factor is having a father in the picture. Um, but that's not the way society operates now. They act like, men, you don't need a man. 
<laughs> and I'm like, hey, why do you think you have all these boys running around like they don't know what's going on? Why do you think you have these stressed out mums? Why do you think you have these girls with these daddy issues? Like, that's why I'm, I, I'm like, take, like, as bad as the olden days were, I'm like, take me back to the olden days. I don't belong here. <laughs> no, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, you got the, um, yeah, but we had a connection to values um, at my. So I'm 43 years old. There was a connection of values. I knew what it looked like. So there are things that need to be modernised in terms of traditions and in, 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 in the times of today. But not to get not not to be misconstrued, saying you know I will not um, conform. It's not about conformity. It's about tradition. It's about lived lived experiences lessons like it's like raising a crop you know we we had to pass on that for to the next generation so we knew that it wasn't going to be wasted because everyone was relying on it but we've got so many choices at our fingertips now and crimes driven by that materialistic drive crimes driven by the things that we feel that we need validation of having to get there fraud fraudsters out there you know these are so many people that are um, are doing are doing wrong things, but it's accepted. But you talk about the government throwing money at things. You know, they are relying on a lot of people that can't be trusted. But the integrity element is getting so skewed now, and um, and it's a it's actually a quite a scary environment that we're in. But I'm I'm cool about it because um, I'm I'm always grounded and I'm always rooted to to uh, my my culture my belief and everything else talking about culture um i'm a proud half caste because <laughs> i sit on both sides um there's pakia worldviews that i've learned from and i think they're absolutely valuable as well as my tao now my pacifica insights oh, just amazing like i'll give you an example um so many so many but what I'm loving the most is that real sense of community. There's that authenticity of community because it is done every time. Māori with our marae at the moment, unfortunately, there's a stigma behind it where if you get married in a marae, you're pōhara, you're, you're poor in some regard. So they want the grand overseas, Fiji and all this to validate themselves as successful and all the rest of it. But that's not always, it's not always the, uh, that's just a generalised term. But with Pacifica, what I've really loved is there's a real sense of serving, community. So there's no asking anyone to work overtime. They're there. The CEO's there on the days I sneak in, no matter what, <laughs> what time of the day. Early hours of the morning, I get a hello from my CEO. I stay there, I'll sneak in on a Sunday of a public holiday. My CEO's there, popping in and out. Like That's inspiring to me. That's driving to me. And I feel like it's an absolute privilege to be in this space right now. I'm like a, a kid in a candy store. I just love it. Oh, I'm just learning so much. And it's really helped heal me from all the um, spaces that I've been in at the moment and really saw sides of people I never ever thought existed. I was a little bit naive. I thought everyone was in Māori pathways to help Māori. But then what I've seen is I've been exposed to a lot of them that want to help themselves and they've turned that mahi into a lifestyle as opposed to a purpose. Wow, that's 
quote, lifestyle to a purpose. Um, <laughs> you know, people. Um, yeah, so I think like what you just said, I thought he was coming over to say hi to you. Oh, he was, but he knows you're on an interview. Oh, okay, sorry, popular guy. <laughs> so, I thought this was my hood. I'm from Southside. You're from Bay of Plenty. Is Bay of Islands the same as Bay of Plenty? Are they different? I said Bay of Islands. No, it's bad of me because I'm such no, a Jaffa. No, Bay of Plenty is down the line. Okay, I'm real bad because I think I said that wrong. Okay, yeah, I'm a Jaffa. Sorry. Um, no, I think like what are you, what you said is my cousin and I we had a, a a talk about you know one of the you know with Pacifica I don't know how it is with Maori but we're close to our third fourth cousins yeah. maybe you're the same but like just that strength that comes from yeah. that and it creates network you know and I think and even my cousin and I was saying like when you know your family you do it a hundred and fifty percent whereas like I think from a westernized point of view you do something because it's a job but when you do it for a relationship it's to the stars and beyond right well I was in finance um, so I worked for a couple of I worked for a main bank and a finance company and um, it's just the, the finance system and um, approvals like you know you could almost say that they're racist from a point of you know uh, the Pacific of the need you know why are you coming in for a loan for family members celebration a community celebration a death you know and and the and then you can get the eye rolls going oh you've been in for five or six funerals in the last part because they're put in there and then no decline decline in the main bank but a finance company would approve them they go oh the finance companies are thieves and all the rest of it but finance companies have got the risk factor in there, but it's supporting their tikanga in terms of it. Could they do it differently? Absolutely. But that's all they knew. And it's a tough ask to change the way we think and everything else. But it's it's not too late to start changing it. So an example was people would come in and get a um, like an 18-year-old would come in because they had to come in and get a loan for uh, for something that the parents wanted them to do. So, I'm not in the finance game anymore, so I can't get fired. But I used to do a pre-populated decline letter and say, do you want me to decline this? So you can take this home to your family to show them that you tried, and then they'll take the head off you and look at alternative ways of doing it. Because I didn't want them to get a loan at 18, because they had potential pathways of education, so they might have needed to purchase laptops and other bits and pieces they could have done through mainstream banking, tertiary products and other things like that. So once you get someone into debt from 18, 19 off a finance company or other debt that doesn't belong to them, what if they want to start a family at 21, you know, and they're still paying off other, other people's debt. So they're starting off in the back foot in the first place. So I really think um, need to look at different ways of activating um, our tikanga, of giving support by looking at different ways of doing it to supply that because if you crunch the numbers because Maori Pacifica will always look at how much is that a week how much is that a week we don't care that it costs them an extra three or four thousand on top of that they're not interested in that yeah 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 and I totally, un and I totally understand that but that's living in the now you know intergenerational poverty generational wealth how can we build wealth now for our future Get life insurance. Three hundred, five hundred thousand. 
Start the narrative with your kids and say, I'm insured for 300, 500,000. This is what I want you to do with the money. This is how it's going to help us get ahead and start having that korero. No one's having that talk now because we've got $15 in the bank or $20 in the bank. We're living week to week. How can we have a talk to our children about wealth if we don't have it? Wow, yeah, I think like that's what I've started talking my po- about on my podcast is this idea of wealth. You know, you, it's um, us moving forward as communities is multifaceted. It's like, you know, mental, um, physical, spiritual. So I think like physical, physical part is definitely like finance. So I mean, I mean, Troy, I said to you as we started, I could talk to you forever. So, do you have any closing? Um, you know, words of wisdom for our rangatahi, for tamariki, tamaiki out there. I can share another poem. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to find it? Yeah. Okay, cool. No, yeah. I mean... Uh, it's a bit hard with the music going in the background. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. I, I like these spaces. You know why? Because I I often upload these podcasts and they have, we happen to be in lockdown. Hey. So, I, yeah. So, I listen to these episodes that I do like, like in, in different areas. Um, with the live sound and and I just like this is what it feels like to be free <laughs> yeah so I don't mind the background music anyway I'll let you finish off okay so we were talking a bit about um, mental well-being and uh, bits and pieces so I had a I had a friend who's a social worker ask me to write a poem and I said oh, I don't write by request <laughs> yeah, it yeah it comes out and, um, and one of my little secrets is that um I actually, there's two points I want to make. I'll, I'll share this with you around mental mental well-being. So, I wrote this for a social worker who was tasked to lead the uh, suicidal week initiative. So that's why she asked me to do it. I said no, I'm not interested. I've never experienced it myself. And then I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I write this. So um, I hope you like it. But the second part I'm going to say um, that is secret to my success and what I've learned is. Anyone that puts you down, whether it's work, if it's your boss, if it's a law, if it's anyone, or even um, and I, I don't want to sound racist when I say Pakeha, there's a certain look that they give you of non-worthiness, and um, so the thing that drives me is I will learn what you know better than you do. So that's the driver for me. I will learn what you know better. So when we get into an altercation. I'm going to outclass you and I want to turn your laws against you. I want to turn your narratives, your words all against you because I'm prepared because I've studied the shit out of it. And it's worked heaps and and I love doing it, unfortunately. I shouldn't love doing it, but I really do. So if you ever want to um, contend with anyone, work for it, get your insights, learn the education, see where they come from and you challenge the hell out of them. Feed off that and get addicted to that, and you'll not only um, establish yourself, you'll you'll get better at it. So this is called your many reasons. Suicide's an evil disease, sitting just dormant inside your head, waking up at your darkest point before it starts to spread. Suicide's a ticking bomb; it'll catch you unaware. Suicide brings a darkness, a darkness you won't fear. Confusing your emotions like you've never felt. Unprepared to handle the cards your life is dealt. There are reasons inside of you protecting your reason to live. Reasons connects you to the love you can give. 
Reasons keeps your sanity when you're feeling low. Reasons will guide you as you learn and grow. Reasons keeps you grounded, awareness of what you've got. Reasons gives you courage to give life a decent shot. Suicide will attack your worth and self-esteem. It will send you in bullies to rip away your dreams. As your confidence dwindles away, your eyes will start to blind. Blinded from those who love you, then you'll start to lose your mind. Your mind will forget whānau, feeling abandoned and alone. Smoking or drinking your pain away, your heart then turns to stone. It will feast on your identity, forgetting who you are. Self-destructive and full of hate, your blood then turns to tar. It chokes your vocal cords, restricting you to speak. Suffering in silence, grip of reality is weak. Suicide has its hooks in you. There's nothing you can do. There's no soul left inside, forgetting all you knew. You are now empty, wanting to leave this pain. Suicide grows a voice you now hear inside your brain. It says you are worthless. Bread off without you here. It's time to leave for a better place and I will take you there. You fit a noose around your neck, about to take your final drop. A loud voice calls out your name, causing you to stop. Didn't take long to realise it was your voice of reason, telling you, get back down, I'll get you out of this prison. Your reason reminded you you are not here alone. Suicide has tricked you, let me take you home. Open your eyes to see all the love around you. You then feel its warmth as it passes through. You then see loved ones again with tears running down their face. So excited to see you return, greeted with a warm embrace. Suicide soon realised its battle was lost today. It then goes back to sleep but will never go away. If you ever feel low again, remember what is there. There's plenty of reasons keeping you safe right here. Don't be afraid to call out if you are dark and alone. There is a voice of reason waiting for you on the phone. And I put the 0800 um, suicide number there. <laughs> so that was, oh, thank you. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for spending time together. And um, I'm really excited. I'm going to tune into your podcast and listen to the other ones. Look out for those gems because I truly believe there was a reason you and I ended up here tonight. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Troy. I think from the moment that we just randomly talked and you made me think of like a quote that I'm going to post up just like, um, you know, something about like I thought about like always be open to who God's going to introduce you to in life. You know, like, don't be afraid to, to just talk to people. And, and I'm like that. And I think part of it is I'm older, like I'm less self-conscious, but I've also traveled a lot. And strangers have helped me out when I've traveled. And, and just like people, I, I often describe people as countries. You know, we think we need to, um, to, take, you need to pay for an uh, expensive flight to discover a whole different world but I'm like people are countries you think you look at someone you think you know what they're all about and then you get to know them and you're like wow they're the most interesting like no one doesn't have an interesting life story everyone has an interesting life story yeah so just want to thank you so much Troy and and to my listeners um I know this has been longer than my usual episode but that's because I could talk to Troy forever and ever like seriously most of my guests the same too but Troy has um, indulged me this time and, and, and let me talk to him for um, longer than usual. So, Troy, think again. And to my listeners, um, please tune in for my next episode of You Talk Too Much. Talk. Talk.